Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. You may be in a toxic relationship with your phone. Tech can be a wonderful tool. It connects us to loved ones and also helps you locate the name of that song that's still stuck in your head. But our devices can also be dangerously addictive and a huge time suck. As we spend more time inside from the cold and from the continuing pandemic, let's meet someone to help us rethink our relationship with all of the screens in our lives. Anya Kamenetz is author of the book The Art of Screen Time, and she's an NPR education correspondent. And oh, by the way, Anya practices what she preaches. You know, the way that I start, and as with any habit change, is by thinking about what my goals are. Um, I try to focus on the positive reasons that I want to be present, and that includes, you know, maximizing the time I have with my kids now that they're off to school during the day, you know, making sure that I then strategically stage my house so that my phone is not in easy reach when I'm interacting with them. So that's just one example of how I try to do it. I think for me, Anya, the first step is admitting the problem. And I don't think (laughs) I'm quite there yet. I think that there's nothing wrong at all with how much I use my phone and my laptop and so forth. Um, With your kids, what kinds of boundaries are you setting? Well, you know, again, you know, our kids are are watching us and they're doing as we say. And so really thinking about, you know, the times and the places that we find that screens are, you know, helpful versus problematic. And I think honoring the fact that they do bring so much to our lives and especially over the pandemic year when our screens were our lifelines, it requires kind of not only bringing the stick or, or kind of harshly condemning the screen use both in ourselves and in our loved ones, but also thinking about, okay, you know, this has a time and a place, but there's also a time for really being able to cuddle on the couch or really, you know, look in each other's eyes and listen to a story and know that we're not distracting each other. And, uh, you know, you write specifically about how parents can create healthy screen time practices with their kids. Do you think adults can steal some of those practices too? I absolutely do. And I would say, like, again, starting with compassion, you know, I always advise parents to try to understand um, what the kids are using the screens for. So, you know, that might be entertainment. It might be a distraction. It might be um, really calming themselves down and regulating their emotions. And I think that's something that adults need to do as well. We need to really think about, am I reaching for the phone? The first question to ask is, why am I reaching for the phone? Is there something else that I'm not dealing with? Um, because I'm reaching for the phone and mm-hmm. just having that question and not really judging the answer. You know, the change comes later, but the first step really is to just stop and ask. And of course, like we've mentioned, uh, our devices can actually add a lot to our lives. So tell us, how can people use their phones and their computers and their tablets in a way that benefits them? Oh, I think that's such a great question. So, you know, understanding um, what the apps are, and I think there's been really interesting research showing that some of the apps that we spend the least time on are the ones that cause the most happiness. And I would um, argue that that, you know, that goes for things like maps, calendars, things where you're kind of on and off and it's serving a purpose in your broader life. Um, those are the things to kind of maximize. And the things to minimize to put in a folder or maybe you log out or maybe even delete altogether are the ones where you have an infinite scroll and an infinite doom loop. So, you know, it could be Twitter, it could be uh, social media. um, And those are the things where the longer you stay on it and the more you're consuming, um, the kind of the worse your mood is going to get. 
Anya, you wrote in the New York Times about how the pandemic has just changed your outlook on screen time. Share a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, I think what it really helped me realize is that having the ability to uh, kind of optimize your family's relationship with screens is really a factor of privilege. And it's something that I knew intellectually, but until I experienced myself being working from home and having kids at home and not having childcare, I understood, you know, that we turn to screens because they're a fallback plan in a world where our kids maybe can't roam the neighborhood, they don't have safe places to play, and they don't have an endless stream of toys or time really for us to play with them so that's why we're falling back on the screens and I think the same thing is true of course for adults that it's become kind of the default option so just having a little bit of compassion and understanding that people have different circumstances and that media plays very different roles in people's lives um, depending on you know what other resources they have to either fill their time or be productive or even connect with friends and family. In that same article, you wrote about how our issues with technology, uh, how they aren't actually about the tech, but about our feelings. I think that's a really important part of the conversation. Can you just expand on that, too? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, this is just such a hard time for all Americans. We've been through such an incredible trauma with this pandemic. We've lost so many people. We have political upheaval and strife, economic dislocation. And so, you know, the idea that we want to um, forget our troubles, laugh at a silly TikTok video, or, you know, maybe uh, lash out and be divided from each other in social media, it's, it's all kind of filling these deeper needs. And so, you know, the pathway out of that is really stopping to consider how can I become more connected in my my real life, you know, with people that I actually care about, not random people online. And being more intentional about that, you know, there's research that shows even within social media platforms, people, when they're actively commenting and responding and, and posting themselves, they get a better reaction and a better emotional um, payoff from it than if you're just kind of passively responding to, you know, mass broadcasted posts. So thinking about how do we customize our relationship, not just the media, but in the world around us, and try to fill some of those needs that we're sometimes trying to get and and failing to satisfy through the screen. Yeah, you say start to develop a toolbox with them of coping strategies that they can use when they feel overwhelmed or sad or scared, like a blanket, for instance, right? Every kid has a blanket or a (laughs) teddy bear or something, a good song that they like. So it's a great advice there. Let's jump to the phone lines. We've got Brandon in Avondale. Hi, Brandon. Welcome to Reset. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Thank you for calling. What are your thoughts on screen time? Are you just as addicted as I am? Well, of course, yeah. So, like, I typically use my phone a lot for productivity, like um, was mentioned, like, I use a lot for Google Calendar and things like that, and a lot for investing and researching, but also for using Reddit and for entertainment purposes, usually YouTube or Netflix. But I've been trying to transition away from grabbing my phone when I'm bored for the entertainment purposes and actually trying to focus on uh, the accumulated book list and the accumulated books that I've gotten over the pandemic to start kind of going through that and carrying like three or four books with me. And when I get bored with one, kind of move on to the other. That way I feel more like I'm working on something productive or I'm able to focus on one thing instead of a billion things that I have going through my mind and also try to have a better relationship with my children instead of like being on my phone constantly because it is a drain. I feel better just doing that. No, I I hear you, Brandon. Thank you for sharing that. Anya, can you relate? Reading books is just such a nice release, I think. Um, It's just an escape away from tech. 
I really can, and um, I really appreciate him sharing those strategies and also the rewards. You know, the way that we help um, make these habits stick is we really focus on um, what we're getting out of it and whether that's, you know, something funny that your daughter said at the breakfast table that you're, you know, that you, we were paying attention and we didn't have your head down on the phone. And, and just noting that and marking that and, and marking the good is something that's going to make those habits stick. Uh, Anya, to that point uh, in that conversation with Brandon, can you talk more about the difference between slow and fast media? Sure, absolutely. There's been a lot of research and kind of concern about um, media and violence, and rather there being, you know, kind of a one-to-one consideration, I think we can be a little bit more broad-minded in how we think about it and realize that there are types of media, whether created for children or adults, that really create a different listening or a different watching or um, interacting experience. And so, you know, not just because we're on the radio, I am a big fan of audio. I think that podcasting um, and audio books are ways to have, you know, a less fully immersive kind of experience with media, something where you can also be doing something with your hands or you can be walking down the street. Or for kids, it's really good because they're using their imaginations while they're hearing the story. It's something that's more of a bridge or a building block to reading as well. So knowing that that's a place that we can make a substitution where we might be needing that kind of entertainment, but we want to be um, doing other things as well. I think that that's a really good option for slow media. We got a tweet from Deirdre who says, I try and implement the same awareness that we asked ourselves when our kids were born regarding TV. Would I allow this person or those people alone in a room with my child? Likewise, would I seek out real one-on-one with the people or the content that I'm viewing? And I guess that's how she determines whether she should cut down on the screen time. Does that sound familiar? It absolutely does. And, and, you know, focusing on being more discerning about the influences you're letting into your life, I think is a really astute way of thinking about this. There is also research that shows that there are certain social media presences um, that have a more positive impact on people who listen or people who watch them because of the types of content that they share. So really kind of actively asking yourself, and it could be, you know, everybody's got different tastes or different um, interests, but, you know, how do I feel after I, I consume this content? Am I, am I feeling bad? about myself? Does it make me want to buy something? Or do I feel a little bit of inspiration that helps me go around my day? I think that's a great way of weeding out, like, what do you want to let into your space, right? You have a limited amount of attention, a limited amount of time, waking hours in the day. What do you want to let in? So give us a a list then, maybe a bullet point list on you. What are some signs that people need to rethink how they interact with their devices? Oh my gosh. I mean, um, just the basics of the physical body. How well are you sleeping is a really big one. Do you reach for your phone the first thing in the morning? Do you have it on your bed table at night? Are you getting enough exercise? Are you active during the day? Or are you going straight from, you know, work time in front of the computer to quote unquote recreational time in front of the computer? And it's all kind of the same thing. If your cat was watching you, would they think you were doing the same thing all day long? Or would they see you doing different things? You know, thinking about your relationships, about your mental health, do you feel that you have the Context that you need, you know, what status is your family relationships in and your friendship relationships in? What's the last time that you had the chance to gather with people in person, you know, depending on your COVID safety levels? Uh, do you feel like you're productive? Do you have, you know, the focus that you need to get things done during the day or do you feel like it's always being stolen by interruptions and um, notifications that aren't fully in your control? Uh, Reset producer Brenda says, I used to be able to read for hours at a time, but Since I became more active on social media, I can't read for more than 20 minutes at a time now. So she says switching between different social media keeps her interest much longer than reading books Uh does. That's an interesting switch. 
I blame yeah, social media. Yeah, it's such an interesting point of fact, and I think um, it's actually visible across the entire culture that the way that we use our attention span has changed. I would caution to say that it's always a negative change. I think it depends on people's you know individual kind of levels of interest. Something that helps me maintain my focus, especially when I'm doing broader tasks, is to use a version of the Pomodoro technique where I actually do set that timer and I say I'm going to work for 25 minutes before I check anything. And that helps me get focused work done when I really need to. Let's hear from Susan, who's calling from Evanston. Hi, Susan. Welcome to Reset. Hi. Um, I just wanted to present the topic about teens and just any suggestions that you have in terms of helping teens set boundaries. Absolutely. You've got tips. Share them, please. I think that's such a great question. I think that teens are, you know, part of a society where they're constantly being kind of blamed and shamed for their media use. And so um, it's really kind of helpful to start the conversation by listening and appreciating and trying to really understand the role that social media, gaming, other online pursuits play in your teen's life, what is helpful about it for them, what do they like about it, and then talk to them a little bit about what they don't like about it. Because when we talk about a teenager, we're really talking about supporting them in making healthy choices for themselves. They need to have buy-in. They need to be the ones setting the goals. And then obviously there's a lot that we can do to surround them with support, whether that be with setting up incentive programs, with going on screen-free outings as a family or having screen-free times together, um, or something as simple as, you know, putting on a movie together and, and everybody puts their phones away where we're kind of, yes, we're substituting one screen for another, but we're also allowing ourselves to have that kind of interaction in the way that maybe some of us did uh, growing up. And Anya, when, when I think about boundaries, I, I think about my physical space too. Like is, is making a rule like no phones in the bedroom or no phones at the dinner table. Is that helpful? It's so helpful, Sasha Ann, and it's choice architecture. And I think all the time about a dad that came to one of my talks and said, you know, when I used to build homes in the 80s, they would have a media room, and now every room in the house is a media room. Every room has a smart speaker. Every room has six screens in it. And so how do you create those zones of calm inside your house? You know, I know families that don't um, allow screens upstairs. They don't allow screens in the bedrooms. Or, you know, having a charging station um, when you come in the door, something like that, to encourage people to leave their phones at the door. Well, here's a fun feature that I've ignored for years on my iPhone. That's that screen time limiting feature. But is it useful Mm -hmm. generally? You know, the thing that I'll say about that is if the phone manufacturers knew that that feature reliably helped people reduce their use, they probably wouldn't <laughs> offer it. Yeah, so that's what I would think, So just having the information is not magically going to reduce um, your use. It depends on what you do with the information. And are you kind of supporting the healthy habits in your life? And do you see the rewards of reduced screen use? I mean, that's the other thing, too, right? It's like noticing what happens in your life when you're spending a little bit more time focused and kind of getting rid of that anxious feeling and the idea that you're away from your phone and you're going to miss something and realizing, you know what, people can deal with stuff on their own. And if I don't see a thousand notifications, I'm going to be fine. Um, That's how we reinforce these habits and and make them really ingrained. Well, perhaps some of us should take a page out of John in the Southeast Side's book. He called and said to us, he said, I stay as far away from tech as possible. And it works for me. Mm -hmm. I do my screen time in the early morning, email and catch up on news. I don't use text. I don't have a cell phone. Wow, John. That's great. Show <laughs> that us your ways. Really relaxing. <laughs> it sounds yeah, really relaxing. I love it. Uh, it sounds like a quiet day. No chirps, yeah. no alerts. Um, is there any scenario, Anya, that you think calls for folks just cutting the device cord completely for parents or 
kids? You know, the World Health Organization does recognize screen interaction that gets to the level of almost like a behavioral addiction. And that's where we're talking about, you know, people who classically, like, they need more and more of it. Um, it's all they seem to care about. Other things are, are falling away. Um, you know, for a kid, it'll be your grades. For an adult, it'll be your job performance. And they just can't seem to put it down no matter what. Um, and so that's where you really start to think about a detox framework and you think about, well, this person really needs to, to put it down and step away. You know, it really gets to that extreme little level, but certainly that's something where you'd want to engage um, with a professional who can who understands these kinds of behavioral um, addictions or behavioral disorders. You've been talking about this topic for quite some time. Give me your, your original interest in this. Why? Oh, my gosh. Well, I had covered education and educational technology and, and kind of the birth of the social web. And then with the advent of mobile devices, I really saw a difference in how young children were interacting with them. You know, the handheld size and the touchscreen and the fact that they could be brought anywhere just really seemed to be changing um, how early childhood young children interacted. And people were noticing the difference and they were wondering and worrying what this difference meant. Now, coming from the educational technology space, I knew all of the amazing things that tech could do and how it could enable and empower individuals, people from marginalized communities to have a voice and children to learn and, and grow. So trying to marry, you know, some of the promise of technology with some of the peril and the worries that people had led me to want to write their art of screen time to help people cut through and, and make sense of it all. Anya, let's hear from one more caller. Here's Mike in Roseland. Hi, Mike. Welcome to Reset. Hi. I just wonder if everybody's kind of passing over the fact that uh, we're being robbed by the Internet of all our future musicians and scientists and all the great people that we could have, but we won't have because they're addicted to social media. We won't take the time to learn what they need to learn to be great. The Eddie Van Halen's, the Eric Clapton's, the B.B. King's, you know. Yeah. Thanks for raising that point, Mike. Appreciate your call. Uh, let me actually get one more call in before we address Mike's comment. Here's Brian in Frankfurt. Hey, Brian. Hey, how are you? Um, I actually made a, a deal with my six-year-old son that uh, after a certain time each night after 630 that we'd both be off screens and, and do stuff together. And then uh, every Sunday we made another deal that, you know, no Nintendo, nothing like that. And we're spending more time together that way. So it's figuratively by example. Uh, and one other thing, I taught myself how to play guitar off of YouTube. Ah, see, that's that's <laughs> awesome. So, so the internet can do good for music. <laughs> I hope Mike's still yeah. listening. What do you think, Anya? Well, I mean, I, I love this idea that, you know, you can really reward yourself with the bonding and reward your kid with the bonding. And I think that's a strategy that's worked in my house as well. And I think it's a really great one. To the point of, you know, what are people doing with the time that they're wasting on social media? Um, I think it's just a wonderful illustration of how multifaceted these technologies can be. Because, yes, YouTube is one of the best learning platforms in the world. And also, it's an incredible time waster. So then for us as guides, media guides, guides for our children, then the question becomes, how do we encourage those creative uses and those learning uses? And how do we help our kids see all the possibilities that are out there that they may not stumble upon on their own? That is Anya Kamenetz. She's a NPR education correspondent, also author of the book, The Art of Screen Time. Thank you, Anya. Thank you. You see, staying off the screens is good for the grown-ups and not just for the kids. Keep that in mind next time you wag your finger at your team. Well, that's it for today's Reset. I know what you just heard, but please go to your screen just one more time and subscribe to this podcast. That way you can get more news you can use. 
And while you're at it, give us a rating. It helps listeners find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening, and we'll meet again tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.